Welcome to The Next Mile, a podcast about the future of transportation. I'm your host, Puya Dianat. Today's episode, Atlanta's Bicycle Diaries, with Nedra Deadweiler of Civil Bikes. The city is Atlanta. The year is 2013. A bold dreamer takes to the back of a bike. Ahead lay the open road with stops full of hidden stories. Voices that were buried through the passage of time. And it's when one's stories are lost that the final step has been taken to being misplaced forever. This dreamer rode her bike, learning and lifting those histories, ensuring they see a tomorrow. Her name is Nedra Deadweiler, and the organization is Civil Bikes. Well, thanks again for joining. Uh, I'm with Nedra Deadweiler. Nedra, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, where you grew up, what your passions are. Hey, Puya, thank you for having me here. Um, It's really nice to meet you in this way, especially right now. I grew up here in Georgia. (laughs) We'll start there. I was born at Georgia Baptist. So I grew up in Southwest DeKalb. And I would say a passion would be people. I'm a social worker by training and just like the interest and curiosity and the human story, the human capacity and resilience and even trying to understand motivation. So started Civil Bikes in 2013. Um, That's when the idea hit me. And it is essentially tours, although it's really not about touring. It's really more about preservation, preservation of story, preservation of place. And we do that. We started out on as as doing it via bike, a bicycle. Um, And then we also started doing walking. So yeah, it is, it's a preservation project of stories. When Civil Bikes first took to the streets, Atlanta was a little different than it is now, and biking through the city in the name of historic preservation was a radically different approach to interacting with our urban landscape. Downtown was just emerging from the housing crisis, peak development had not yet arrived, the streets were still dotted with vacancies, and Nedra To many, she was an anomaly in the white male-dominated world of cycling. As she rode on her bike through the streets, sharing stories of Atlanta's past to small tour groups, she remained the biggest outlier. A black woman using her bike to serve as the unofficial keeper of stories we never learned about as we passed them each day. The bicycle was an ideal mode of conveyance for this experience. A two-wheeled enabler of exploration into a rich, but complex history. Tell, tell me why it's important for uh, you to be able to have people connect with these stories on a bike or on foot. Uh, we're so used to tours being on top of double-decker buses. What what changes when you're on a bike? Well, it is it's the proximity. It's the closeness. You know, it's the intimacy with the space. It's the intimacy with the other person. And then also like put the, in air quotes, other person because of segregation, because of even de facto segregation or people of different cultures not 
having close enough relationships, you know, it sort of mirrors what we need to do in each other's space, right? Like being on the street at human scale, we're not removed in a, a quote unquote protective space. We are on the street, the action on the street, we are a part of it. And there's an exchange that takes place. And now, a tale of time travel to terrible transportation troubles. In an age of travel when we're whisked around in cars and on planes, earlier forms of transportation tend to get lost in the dust. It's been a long time since we navigated the world without any motorized assistance. But the humble bicycle still persists. And for good reason. Many would say there's something sacred about the ability to transport yourself under your own power, to arrive at a destination with the satisfaction of sweet independence. When you couple that kind of empowerment with community action, powerful things can happen as we're learning on this episode. And it's witnessed annually in Alabama, where the Montgomery Cycling Club hosts their annual Selma to Montgomery ride, commemorating the famous Civil Rights March. Hundreds of riders traverse the 51-mile route to reflect on our civil rights victories and look towards the future. They celebrate Marshall Major Taylor, an athlete who was among those paving the way for civil rights in the U.S. He became the first African-American to achieve the level of cycling world champion, something that still stands to this day, and he was only the second black athlete to win a world championship in any sport. But his fame and celebrity abroad didn't carry over back home, with Taylor often not being allowed to race or even find lodging in the southeastern United States. Today, the riders in Alabama go past the city of St. Jude, where protesters slept on their last night before entering Montgomery, much of that on the back of leaders like Marshall Taylor. Bringing community together through two wheels is a powerful thing, and it's on the rise. The number of cyclists in the U.S. has risen by over 5 million in the last three years. With new cycling groups popping up all over the country, we're excited to see how organizations like Civil Bikes can harness the power of cycling for good. Now back to Puya and the show. It's important to note that Nedra and I spoke post-pandemic, but before the murder of George Floyd. What Nedra is asking us to do from the seat of our bikes is the same as what she has been doing in the community conversations she has led since then. We need to dive deeper into the communities and lives of those around us. We need to acknowledge the stories around us, in particular, the ones that haven't been highlighted because of the problems in our society. Why? Because this isn't a new fight for many, but the continuation of a generations-old struggle for equality. And what we can do as allies of racial equality and transportation advocates is to listen to these stories. After all, if we can connect humans through our universal sagas, we can connect communities. When we connect communities, we're starting to bridge the problems that have plagued us for so long. And what exactly are some of the things that Nedra has uncovered as she's peeled back the layers around the communities we live in? Some of the stories that you, um, that anyone would encounter with us is kind of like definitely street level, 
you know, what do you see from the street? What do you see from the sidewalk? But it is fixed and associated to, say, a building, you know, a structure, to a landscape. One of our newer series is looking at women on the west side, and there's a woman, Mary, uh, Mary Parks Washington. She grew up on the west side. She was an artist. We wouldn't hear stories like that. We wouldn't know about her and the work that she had done. She grew up in a house that still stands on Ashby Grove. You know, what she contributed to culture, what she contributed to history, um, it still continues. I didn't necessarily realize this at the time that I started, but it was a recognition that Black space, Black history, Black culture, in, this, in these ways are important to our society. And you know, who worked here, who lived here, what did they do? All those things help to create a culture and also help to build a community. Being able to like really focus in on that um, and then connect it to the whole, the whole of Atlanta, like why certain neighborhoods formed and how they were shaped. For me, it helped to connect some of that past to the present and show like, um, that Black people were here and that really cared and produced and contributed and what we offer is, is valuable. Everyone can bring some, something to the table to uplift the story of another person. As Nedra says, her goal is to unearth and save these stories that are small, may have happened in nondescript places, by people that aren't in history books but in some ways that makes them the most accurate representative stories. In Atlanta, they're focused on a racial divide that has long cut into the heart of our nation. But Nedra's tours don't focus on the mainstream players. Whether on foot or bike, she's working to paint a picture of people who were building blocks to the larger-than-life figures of Atlanta's civil rights era. Civil rights in Atlanta was won through negotiation. So there's a little bit of diplomacy and um, showing a unified face. But underneath that, uh, these systems of inequality have set in. It's the uncovering of that face and trying to uh, delicately peel back some of those layers. And it shows up by talking about um, not sort of the mainliners in the movement, but being able to talk a little bit more about some of the students who are part of student movement or women who formed various civic groups and organizations, women who are involved in voting campaigns and voting organizations. That is how it shows up. So we try to talk about the unusual character or just the ones who are really not necessarily come up above the fray. And I think for me, it's important because it gives agency to just regular people, like a hairdresser who is talking to women about self-care, but also about why it's important for them to vote. Like, that's something that everybody can do. We can share that, like, transmission of agency to each other and support each other in doing these things cooperatively, you know, being um, civically active and minded. Someone said to me recently, our past is our future, but it's like the past is never, it's never the past. So I think it's just like that awareness is what we try to do. And now an Upstart Update presented by Beam Imagination. Well, hey, uh, we're here with one of my favorite guests from the first season, David Clapper of Scamper Van. 
David, I want to hear what life has been like for you and the team at Scamper Van since we last spoke. What's it been like? We spoke about, I don't know, about a year ago, maybe. You know, business was just kind of uh, in like year two and a half, year three. Um, winter was um, winter for us. And, um, you know, spring came in like a lion. It came in pretty good. You know, we were looking at a pretty intense summer for us and a decent spring. Once March hit and the pandemic really took shape, uh, we lost all of our business. I mean, really, it, everything canceled from April until September. Definitely had to kind of really look at what the potential was for us and not continuing, to be honest with you. Um, when you go from, you know, a certain amount of revenue to absolutely nothing. Mid-May, I guess it was, uh, the phone started ringing. Um, I would say by Memorial Day weekend, not only was Memorial Day weekend booked, but so was a good part of our summer. Um, people looked at Scamper Van as an opportunity to social distance, um, to kind of self-quarantine in nature. Our business model, which is normally weekend travelers every once in a while cross country, really turned into long-term rentals for the entire summer. That's incredible. Well, we're rooting for you guys. Uh, if folks want to get on board, what should they go do? Uh, well, obviously go to scampervan.com. I always tell, I get, we have very extensive website. Uh, you can check our calendar there. We're happy to take phone calls if you have questions on what scampervan travel is like or what campervan travel is like. Uh, happy to guide people through their trip if they don't know where they want to go, all those types of things. So scampervan.com, number one. We have a phone number. It's 833-SCAMPER. Uh, you can call us anytime and we're happy to, to help you through whatever adventure you want to get into. We just want to get people outside um and, and have a great experience well dave hey thanks to you and your team for making sure that during all of this you're connecting folks with transportation not necessarily to each other but back to nature and giving them that little slice of a vacation that they may have missed out on so thanks again and uh really appreciate everything you guys are doing now back to puya and the show While Nedra continues to craft stories around those impactful characters of long-ago Atlanta, the bike she rides could be part of the solution. After all, study after study confirms two things. Equal transportation and equal education are two required ladders of upward mobility to build a balanced society. How does transportation accomplish that? For a long time, many of us have taken for granted that you just hop into a car take to the road, and capture the American dream. But cars, for many, have become encumbrances, another monthly bill they can't take. Through the rise of the gig economy, many of those driving Lyfts and Ubers are doing so just to pay for the cars that they're driving. So how can transportation benefit rather than punish a segment of society for which the American dream has been a bit more of an American nightmare? I love that worldview and sort of the, how you let, were led to that moment of uh, connecting all these things. Do you think that uh, transportation, getting the right answers to transportation, do you think that impacts equality? I do think it impacts equality. It, just because, you know, like access, access to 
education, access to jobs, access to food, um, and housing that's connected to that, like our communities, we've got to be able to move mobility. It is a thing that moves our lives forward. So having getting transportation right, we have that option right now. And also, I think rethinking through how we have planned and organized um, the Atlanta region, like where are jobs located and where are, you know, where are these things located, where people live, how can folks get access to better jobs, better paying jobs. I mean, if we can have those honest conversations and maybe and in an authentic, connected way, face to face and see each other's neighborhoods and communities uh, close on the ground, that we we have we understand that we're all invested in each other and need to make sure we're giving everyone the best opportunity. Exactly. I mean, I don't think your needs and my needs are any different. We both need air, we both need water, we both need a place to live that's safe and healthy. And we need to be, have access to like physical, like being able to move around. So our needs really aren't that different from each other it's just like and i and i i like what you said about being invested like we're invested in the same place like we all care we all are here we just need to pull that together a little bit tighter six feet apart however that works (laughs) connect with the heart um and then maybe the mind and i i think it it really has to not be an intellectual exercise it really has to be a heart exercise it requires a lot more than reconciliation um, to get to a place where we have a society where it's built on equity um, and there's access and really until Atlanta deals with its racial past and even current racial issues we're really not going to create a transportation system that every that benefits everyone um, where we put funding versus putting in, working on a highway, highway construction. Maybe we need to have some rail, you know, maybe we do need to have more buses. You know, we're not, we won't make that switch. Or bike lanes, you know? Yeah, I was gonna say bike lanes is a, is a, definitely supports what you're working on. So. Yeah, some protective bike lanes and paths and, but we have to address like the, the fear of the other person um, that, lives in our history. I feel like I've learned a lot and I feel like, you know, I want community, one, to help fashion what it is that it becomes and have to have community buy-in and then also thinking like how we want to live differently. Um, How can civil bikes be a part of that? Healing our communities with two feet on the pedals asking us all to take a moment to think differently about the world around us. As we continue to explore the future of transportation, let's not forget our past, and let's make sure that transportation is lifting all of us up, not just those that we can see from the window of a car. Thanks for tuning in to The Next Mile. Join us next time as we speak with some bold dreamers from Europe that are reimagining the entire concept of an automobile.